Hey, Garden Nerds, before we get started with this week's episode, I just want to take a moment to say thank you for listening in 2019. And for those of you who've sent feedback, thanks a lot. It's nice to know someone's listening out there. And this is just a quick blurb to let you know that we're going to take a little bit of a break in the first part of 2020, and we'll be back in February with a whole new lineup of guests. In the meantime, you might want to check out my new book, Gardening for Geeks, All the Science You Need for Successful Organic Gardening. It hits bookstores on February 11th, 2020, and I will be shamelessly promoting it until then. <laughs> and now, on to our episode. It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests, and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. My guest today is Valerie Burrell of the UC Master Gardener and Horticulture Program. Valerie specializes in sustainability and fire-safe landscaping, and she's part of the UC Agriculture and Natural Resources Working Group on Climate Change Adaptation, which is a total mouthful, and I can't wait to dive into this with you, Valerie. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Sure, and my main interaction with you is through the Master Gardener program, where you've had me come and teach a section on vegetable garden specifics right. after Yvonne Savio retired, who I have to get on this podcast, but I wanted her to get a chance to actually retire, you know, <laughs> before I go and bother her. Um, but before we get to the Master Gardener program, I must know, do you have time to garden at home? And if so, what are you growing? I do have garden, or I should say my, my partner and I have time to garden at home. He does most of the heavy duty part. Uh-huh. We both, of course, have full-time jobs. Uh, so I actually prefer to call what we do, instead of urban agriculture, I prefer to call it suburban agriculture. What, is, what does that look like? So to me, we have um, cleared the lawn from our front yard uh-huh. and put in raised beds. We garden the raised beds in the front yard as well as the parkway, which is a no-no. Oh, but it's legal now. Um, in Los Angeles, not in all cities in South oh, California. Okay, so you're... So I will not call out any particular cities who have <clears throat> cited us for that, but we... Okay, so you're a little revolutionary over there. Yes. Okay. Yes, so um, we do that, and then we garden about a third of our backyard as well. And when I say garden, I'm I'm speaking of vegetable and fruit gardening. Right, which to me, honestly, (laughs) like the only kind of gardening. I know that's not true, and I have a lot of colleagues who don't even vegetable garden, and they're serious gardeners, but we are on the same page. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, And we sort of got into this because we just I have noticed that food or or fruits and vegetables that you purchase in the grocery store do not taste like what there was 20 or 30 years ago in the grocery stores that they lack the fruits and vegetables nowadays lack any flavor of course they're um, produced for aesthetics so What we decided, well, we want to recapture that flavor. Why don't we grow our own? And that's what we've been doing is slowly adding on year by year. Right. It's the impulse to expand is huge. (laughs) Yes. So we pretty much garden, vegetable garden year round. I have an herb garden. It's like a kitchen herb garden where I have about 10 different types of herbs 
and it's right outside the kitchen so we can run out there and clip clip and add it to our food as we need and I also have a small flower garden one because I just love to look at flowers uh-huh. And also to um, act as pollinators to to keep the pests out of the vegetable garden and attract attract them elsewhere and also as pollinators for the gardens. And so what are some of the flowers you have in that bed? Okay, well, I am partial to poppies. California poppies or ornamental poppies? Both. Both. So I have several different hybrids of California poppies as well as the traditional orange poppies that I like to grow. I also like to grow, there's a variety called Lauren's Grape. I love that poppy. I have that. I sprinkle that out around my apple tree and it shows up every year. It's wonderful. Yes, I I do like that one. And then... um, That's a Renee's Garden Seeds uh, poppy, by (laughs) the way, listeners. It certainly is. Yes. And there is also another one that is a California hybrid, which is Tequila Sunrise, which I I love that one. It's sort of a pinkish orange. It's almost like a watercolor. Oh, nice. Palette on them. And uh, so, so those are my favorites that I'm partial to. And I also like to have a wide variety of sunflowers. Nice. So... Um, and the birds love those, of course. Yes, and the squirrels. Yes, and um, <laughs> where I live, we get a lot of wildlife mm-hmm. visi- visiting our garden um, from deer all the way down to the little rodents. Mm-hmm. So we have to factor in the portion that we are sharing with the wildlife. Right. So what are those vegetables, if I may ask, that are being shared with wildlife? The tomatoes, of course, get... Yeah. Some years they don't touch them and other years it's depleted. Luckily, this last year we were able to jar 48 quarts of tomatoes. Wow. That's amazing. Yes. How much room do you have that you have room for that many? It's it's a little larger than your average suburban plot, but okay. it's not that it's it's nothing spectacular okay. or huge. You just have you're in a hot area. Alhambra is where we are. You do you live nearby here or close? Yes, about ten miles uphill. Okay. So so you get the hot summer. Yes, yes, very hot. Got it. It it all depends. Sometimes the deer will go after like the sunflowers, or they love to eat. Uh, the zinnias as mm, well. Weird. Yes. Zinnias. Okay. Yes. I know. <laughs> you never know what's what they're going to favor from year to year, but right. um, they do like to eat the lettuce from time to time and the bok, bok choy. Mm-hmm. They will go after. So yeah, it's just. Do you have brassicas growing right now? We do. We have cauliflower, and they're just little tiny mm-hmm. right now, and we also have some broccoli. And are you protecting those with any kind of uh, helpful floating row cover or bird no, netting or anything? No, we are, um, as I said, we both work full-time, so we pretty much, our way of gardening is gardening by the seat of our pants. <laughs> Whatever no, works. And, and triage as yes. we go, and if something doesn't work, we just yank it out and start over again. Got so, it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like the rat population has <clears throat> quadrupled 
this year, maybe because of the rain that mm-hmm. we had last season. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but are you experiencing that out here? We have in the past. This year, it hasn't been quite as bad. It hasn't. We haven't experienced the rat problem in in several years. Uh, last year, we had a big problem with the squirrels. Oh, so it yeah. just. It varies from year to year. Yeah, it is. And, yeah. and I, it does vary from year to year. And I have to remind people that, because I have clients who are like, oh, that didn't work. Let's not do that again. I'm like, mm-hmm. but you've only planted it once. Mm-hmm. You have to try exactly. again. Exactly. So. Yes, I agree. Good. Well, and you're kind of the spokesmodel for, for try and try again, I yeah. guess, because you're, you're busy with work, so you can't give a lot of time to it. So. But you are right. harvesting, obviously, with all those tomatoes. That's yes, um, and we we try and preserve as much as possible. Uh, we we like to preserve beans. I did um, some onion preserving. Ooh. Um, How do you? What do you do? Or marinade. Marinade. Okay. Marinade. Um, I like uh, apple cider or uh, apple cider vinegar and brown sugar marinade. And I think it tastes fantastic. That's oh. <laughs> cool. So I, I'm going to ask a total side question. Are you also a master preserver? No, I am not. Okay, so you're just no. following instructions. And... I am. My um, partner has much more experience in doing that than mm-hmm. I do, so he usually does all of the um, preserving. I do, like, I'll do the simple marinades and mm-hmm. things of that nature. But Got it. All right, let's move to the Master Gardener Program. For those who haven't heard about it, what is the Master Gardener Program? Well, the Master Gardener Program is a statewide program, and each county has a Master Gardener Program. Here in Los Angeles County, we have we average about 300 to 325 Master Gardeners each year. That's that's wow. about our our base of master gardeners and it's a volunteer program where we extend research-based knowledge and information to the residents of Los Angeles County um, regarding backyard horticulture, sustainable practices, as well as integrated pest management. And I know, I remember the sign-up for that program is crammed full of applicants every year. Is that right? It certainly is. We usually have 50 to 55 spaces, and we get anywhere from 120 to 150 applications every year. So it's a very competitive application process. And I'm dying to know, how do you end up choosing your, your students? Well, is that top secret? It's not <laughs> top to secret because it is there on the application. Okay. So we ask that applicants have a background in gardening and also some sort of volunteering. It doesn't necessarily have to be volunteering in in gardening or horticulture. It can um, be volunteering in a leader leadership program or volunteering at, for instance, a Red Cross program, anything like that. We and we also look for leadership qualities 
in our in our Master Gardener applicants. So we also state on there you can try you can reapply as many times as you like. If you don't get in oh, one year, you can certainly get in the next year or try again the next year nice yeah i didn't know that was possible yes yeah so so we um list right on the application if you don't have these qualifications here are some ways go go volunteer at your arboretum your local arboretum or botanical garden volunteer at your child's school garden etc so got it so what i'm hearing so far in our conversation is that the theme is don't give up Try and try again. Yes, and we have uh, we've had some people come into the program and they're ecstatic. I, oh, I'm so excited! I finally got in. I've been trying for three years, and I'm I'm ready to go. I have all of my experience that I need, and I'm so happy that you chose me. But we we hear that a lot. Oh, that's of good. And. I so I teach the vegetable specifics class, but mm-hmm. some other people you you cover a lot of ground with this course. What do you right. usually cover? So first of all, I just want to say that the uh, presenters that we have are all professionals or academics in their fields. They're not necessarily part of the University of California. We we also get speakers from that are professionals in irrigation or mm-hmm. uh, professionals in composting, etc. So the um, subjects that we cover are soils and composting. We cover botany, introduction to horticulture, woody plants, plant pathology, diagnosing plant problems, integrated pest management, of course, mm-hmm. and different varieties of vegetables and uh, plant propagation, container gardening. There are so many different subjects. What we don't teach within the class, we also have monthly Master Gardener meetings where Master Gardeners can get continuing education hours by going to hear an expert speaker in, in a field. Oh, right, because Master Gardeners have to acquire, is it 12 hours of continuing education per year? Per year. Yes. I remember back in the day, it was a lot higher than that, wasn't it? As far back as I've gone, I've been here for 15 years, and when I first started, it was 15 hours, okay. and they reduced it to 12 hours. Okay. So I think because in they've found that it's difficult for people who are working or going to school to... To keep it up. To keep that up. And you get a lot of continuing education just volunteering and being in the garden as well. And that's a really big part of the program is this volunteer continuation that once you've got your Master Gardener certificate, then you have to go out and... How many hours are you supposed to be putting in as a volunteer right. at a school garden or something like that? The first year we require 50 hours of volunteering. After the first year, it goes down to 25 hours per year. So that's an hour a week for someone who's working at a school, you know, if, if they're doing that. Right, thing, or not even, not even, not even an hour. An hour. A week and that is the main focus of our program is volunteering it's not really just oh I want to learn how to garden for myself yeah program we do have a program 
which we can talk about. That's the victory garden. <laughs> that right, right, right. That, that's perfect for somebody who just wants to learn about gardening. Our focus of our program is volunteering and giving back to the community. Which is so great. And I, I have actually hired a few master gardeners for my business after they've come through the program because mm-hmm. they're knowledgeable at that point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they're, all, they're always doing some volunteer thing at mm-hmm. a school or whatnot. Right. So they get the nice balance of yes. between working with kids and working with adults. And right. One of my employees is working in a retirement community right oh, now, so great. she's also helping out there. So she, we get both ends of the spectrum, which is nice. I want to jump to fire-safe landscaping now because you are an expert in that. We've made it through another fire season here in California and other states, and even Australia is on fire right now, at least at the time of yes. this recording. They've been going through a lot of drought and you know, it's kind of a regular thing now. So what are your recommendations for fire-safe landscaping? People need to know this, right? Yes, they do. One thing that people ask about is, can I have a list of fire-safe plants? And we shy away from doing that because any plant can burn given the right conditions. And Mm -hmm. if the fire is hot enough, it will take out any vegetation. Right. So what we focus on is a lean and green landscape. Lean and green. So lean meaning? Don't have a lot of... It, it sort of contradicts the way you would right. think having a lot of... green, um, you think lush, and lo- that's right. lots of foliage. Right, and you want to have compost and leaf drop on the ground to help with the soil, but a lot of dead plant material on the ground when you are in a severe fire hazard zone is not a good idea. So you also might need to irrigate a little bit more than you would in an area where there is not as much of a fire hazard. So keeping your plants well irrigated is a large part of it. And also keeping your plants, trees, and shrubs pruned properly and pruning up five or six feet. So if a fire does come through, there is not a continuous fuel source source got it so you want to make sure that your trees and plants have a little bit of distance between them as well and another thing that we like to point out is you want to work from the house out when you are trying to create a fire safe landscape because you can have the most fire resistant landscape around but if your house is not fire resistant then you're not going to be helped by your landscape. So how do people do that? That's a whole nother that's, that's another <laughs> class. <all the action. laughs> right. But just making sure that your house is to code and you don't have a lot of junk or dead wood or storage. Any things. exactly nothing laying up against the house. It's a good idea yeah. to have I know. I'm, I'm, I'm reevaluating my too. side yard right now. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you you it's a good idea to have a five to ten foot path around your house, your entire uh, any buildings that you have to prevent fire from jumping from 
your landscape onto your building or your property. Okay, so. and that's really hard to do if you have a house right next door because then yes, you're, that's an issue. Yeah, that right. can be an issue, and we don't also don't want um, trees or plants overhanging. Right, and that makes sense to keep those trimmed you know, prune yearly and that kind of stuff, right? Yes, yes. Are there any other fire-safe landscaping uh, characteristics people should observe? Well, there are some plants that you want to avoid. It's a good idea to avoid the uh, Washingtonia palms. If um, that's something that you want to plant, I would recommend against planting that because those have been shown to go up like a rocket in a firestorm. Wow. What do you plant instead of that? Uh, Well, Quercus agrifolia, the coast live oak, is a good choice as long as it is well maintained. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the natives to this area so it's always a good idea to go with natives there are a few that are more volatile than others but again a well pruned tree is going to do a lot better fare a lot better in a wildfire than a tree that is poorly maintained and has a lot of dead wood in it right i know a lot of people have ice plant plants it as a safety precaution but mm-hmm. it's an invasive species so what very do we do about so. that <laughs> very much so and not only that when you have a monoculture like ice plant on a hillside it yeah. tends to create an unstable hillside it's better to have a variety so that the plant roots are of varying depth so that erosion doesn't occur where the entire layer of ice plant slides Slides down down the hill. hill. So, Do you have favorites that you recommend instead? I don't really. As you can tell, I'm trying to shy away from Yeah, I know. So it's dependent on the region, I guess, right? It really is. You want definitely want to stay away from any invasive plants. Right, which I'll just throw in at this moment because I can. Mexican feather grass, fountain grass, pompous grass. Those are all terrible. Don't plant them. And if you see your landscaper planting them, tell them to tear them out right away. Right. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox right now. Yes. They're, you know, lovely looking plants. but Terrible for the environment. Exactly. Yeah. So. And there are many, many others. Mm-hmm. And there are, there's, in fact, we're sitting right in front of a poster that you can look up on the internet and find a, a picture of. It's called The Terrible Ten, yes. Invasive Plants of Southern California. And it includes castor bean, tree of heaven, which I honestly don't know what that is. Yes, that's a really bad one. It's it, very invasive in the San Gabriel Mountains. Yeah. Here. Vinca and ivy mm-hmm. are on that list as well, and I can't read the rest from here. Cape ivy, and there are a couple of others. And the arundo, which is one of my personal unfavorites. Describe that. Arundo? Arundo is also known as giant reed, and oh, okay. it is very invasive in waterways. Got it. And there used to be the the thought that any waterways would be fire break in a wildfire. Mm-hmm. But since Arundo has pretty much taken over sec- large sections of waterways, waterways are not considered a fire break 
anymore. necessarily a fire break anymore. Wow, because they're so the arendo, Yeah, oh my the arendo is a fire hazard. So all right, so we need to keep those out of our gardens. And and I I know I keep pushing you on alternatives, but in terms of fire safe landscaping, do succulents work? to keep fire away? Succulents are a good plant. You want to look for uh, specific characteristics, again, with the caveat that anything can burn. You want to look for plants that have a high moisture content and stay away from plants that have volatile um, oils. That's a good tip, I think. Well, so like aloe vera is is a succulent that has a lot of moisture and people use it right. to heal burns. So I imagine right. that's something you could Certainly. use. And yeah. the al- you know, the aloes and the... The deadlayas are a native okay. alternative that you could use. We uh, have a lot of literature on types of plants that will be fire resistant on our Safe Landscapes website. Sabrina Drill, who is our natural resources advisor for Los Angeles and Ventura counties, has quite an extensive website with fire safe landscaping, and that's a good resource to go to. Great. We will list that on the blog that goes along with this podcast. We've been talking about fire safe landscaping and the master gardener program and your focus is on sustainability and regenerative gardening Mm -hmm. what programs or organizations are you involved with or do you recommend for other people to become involved with in order to learn more about this Yes, I do belong to the work group on uh, climate change adaptation, and that is a work group that brings together the various departments of the University of California Cooperative Extension and the Division of Agriculture and Natural Resources. So what that means Mm -hmm. is that there are farm advisors on the panel, there are horticulture advisors, there are cattle ranch advisors, Mm -hmm. 4-H advisors, and as well as uh, Master Gardener coordinators and, and the California Naturalist Program, as well as nutrition advisors. And... What we do is we get together and talk about what kind of information we can produce for the public as far as what our programs can offer to combat climate change. So what I look for when when I am when we do meet together is I'm looking for what the Master Gardener program can bring to the residents of Los Angeles County as far as gardening to avoid the impacts of climate change. Like what? So what comes to mind for me is it must be you must talk about pesticides and runoff and that kind of thing or something like that. We do, but even before that, we're looking at what exactly climate change is, how exactly climate change is going to impact the state and Southern California in particular. Gardening in Los Angeles County will be increasingly more difficult because there, the temperature, the diversity in temperatures will be more extreme. There will be much colder periods and much hotter periods, as we experienced, I believe it was last year, with that scorching. Yeah. Uh, 
summer heat where we lost quite a few plants um, yeah, that, to summer scorch. It's sad. Yes. Things got baked. Exactly. How, how can we avoid that happening on such a large scale as well as there's going to be some areas who, that will, might experience frost where they never experienced frost in the past? So how do you deal with something like that? One way is to make sure that you plant more of a a wider variety of vegetables and fruit. Uh, You might want to try varieties that are more drought tolerant, varieties that are more heat tolerant. Use shade cloth if necessary if you're in a hotter area area. Right. And I think diversity is key. And I emphasize that a lot when I talk to people because diversity means survival. It equals survival. So the more diverse your plant base is, the more likely you are to lose only a couple things instead of all of them. Exactly. That's, that's what you want to try for. It's inevitable that you're going to lose some, or that climate change is going to have an impact on your garden. And you're just trying to survive as you (laughs) mentioned the only way to do that is instead of just saying I'm gonna do tomatoes this year Mm -hmm. add other things in along with the mix plant beans plant corn plant uh we always plant radishes and carrots year round yeah although I find that radishes bolt the seeds so quickly and get really pithy in the hot weather. They so. do. But if you they have a do. little shadowy spot. Exactly. In there. And yeah. and that's that's another thing is make sure that you take the time to observe your garden and observe the changes in your garden and how things grow in one part of your garden as opposed to another part of your garden because you might have little microclimates within your garden. Mm-hmm. So now this this group, the work group on climate change adaptation Do you, as a group, publish information for people anywhere? There is information published. There are papers published on the website. Okay. I think that'll be really helpful for for people. Having a group that that is from all different elements, you know, the the ranching, the farming, Mm -hmm. the all the this you know city focused kind of organizations it makes sense to have that pool together right. for information for everybody that's and, really helpful and another thing another type of thing that we might discuss is okay so your area was affected by a wildfire and now there's ash all over all of the vegetable gardens in the area is the food safe to eat and, and what is your answer that is <laughs> what do you recommend uh, usually they say if, well, what we've been recommending is if ash falls on to a, um, the actual fruit or vegetable, it's a good idea. You, you can wash it off, but it's a good idea to compost those parts instead hmm. to be on the safe side. And it really depends on how much the ash has affected your plants. Yeah. Or the smoke has affected your plants, so... Okay. Do they become carcinogenic? Is that what happens? I believe that the the thought behind it is that the ash itself is carcinogenic. carcinogenic. Wow. So. Okay. Because I know we've been doing some remediation with compost tea to help, you know, bind up heavy metals that might mm-hmm. be deposited and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but people do ask about, what do I do about the plants? Right. You wipe them off. Is it okay? Is it not okay? Oh, and, and there is a lot of information um, 
on the Cooperative Extension website, uh, especially um, in the northern California counties who have experienced a lot more impacts with the agriculture. So there, there is a lot of information regarding, uh, do I have to chop down my trees? No. Right. Uh, my fruit trees? No, but it might be a good idea to wait for the next year. Right. To consume the the produce. So. Got it. Because the tree is its kind of its own filtration right. system, so it'll take right. care of it after a while. Yeah, got it. This is kind of a random question, but what do you see in your world that's exciting these days? What's exciting you? I think, well, it sort of ties in <clears throat> with the climate change. I think that the challenges climate change is going to present those challenges are going to be very exciting um, how to come up with solutions to be able to continue having a thriving garden. Yeah. So I think a lot of that is going to be exciting. Experimenting with earlier planting dates and earlier harvesting dates to avoid the extreme summer heat is mm-hmm. is one thing that um, we're doing right now. And okay. That that can be exciting. Maybe you need to, instead of starting your garden in February, backing it up a month or two. But doing it in small increments. Right. Like every year, push it, push it back a little further. Right. So, so another reason to take really good notes. Yes. When you're gardening. Exactly. If you don't remember these things from these details from year to year, writing it down is so important. It is important. And it's an, it's also important to remember where you put those notes because that's ah. what <laughs> to you. I take extensive notes and then I set it aside and, and they I, vanish. I oh. don't know what happened. So. <laughs> well... That uh, that in and of itself is a good tip, but it is tip time. So do you have a favorite tip you'd like to share with the Garden Nerd audience? Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, um, my tip would be don't be afraid to experiment and try new things and not necessarily go by the book. An example of that is that I noticed in a previous garden that I had that my cherry tomato plants were producing year round mm-hmm. and so I decided the following year to see if I could try various varieties of tomato plants and in my area it's a easy thing to do to produce tomatoes year round with cherries cherry tomatoes so. so you're keeping your tomatoes in the ground year round I do a few of them I do the cherry tomatoes seem to work very well and I noticed that and this came about because there was a broken water irrigation oh. <laughs> line underneath it. So uh-huh. I also figured out that maybe, and it was just thriving, like just heavy, heavy amounts of tomatoes. Uh-huh. And I noticed that maybe I wasn't water. irrigating sufficiently for my climate zone. Right. Because the rule of thumb, what's in the book, is that they don't like a lot of water. Right. They water deeply, but less frequently. Right. But in your space where you're getting those 110, 170 degree, 17 degree days. Right. That doesn't apply. Exactly. So. Yes. Okay. So that is my 
my tip, don't be afraid to try what works for you. What works for you in your garden may not work for somebody else. Right, so. and that, that really brings me full circle back to the fact that the Master Gardener program is science and research-based. It's a fine line because there is all this regional knowledge about growing in your space. And I know for me, I read the stuff from UC Davis and I'm like, that doesn't work here. <laughs> I'm coastal Los Angeles, uh, timing wise, you know? So yes, it really, it, I think it has to be a blend of, of both where it's your own personal experience and the science-based, um, stuff because it does vary depending on where you live. True. Yeah. Very true. So I like your tomato, your, your, uh, tomato anecdote in order to validate your tip about trying different things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is a great tip, Valerie. Thank you so much. And thank you for being on the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Great. Now, where do people find you and the Master Gardener program? Well, we have a Facebook presence. We have a Facebook page, at Los Angeles County Master Gardener Program. Okay. And we also have a website. Our webpage is celosangeles at ucanr.edu. So easy to remember. And <laughs> it's that stands for actually it's no? CE Los Angeles, oh. which is Cooperative Extension. Cooperative Extension. CE. Okay. And I would just suggest Googling Master Gardener Program Los Angeles County. Perfect. And you can find us. That will help. Yes. Great. And do you have any personal social media feeds you like to share or no? I, I do not. <laughs> not at the moment. But one other thing I do want to um, tell you is we have a an email helpline as well as a phone helpline. Really? Yes. Um, staffed by very experienced master gardeners, and they are ready and eager to take your phone calls about any topic of gardening any questions that you have and those are uh, the the phone number and email addresses on our website excellent thank you so, so much this is great all right garden nerds you'll find links to the master gardener training program website and their facebook page on gardennerd.com this week we'll also share a helpful resource about plants for fire safe landscaping that's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at GardenNerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under GardenNerd1, on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our GardenNerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!